Welcome to part two of our three mini-series of motivational interviewing in preservation and restoration, helping families facilitate change. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands that you are learning on today. I would like to pay respects to elders, past, present and emerging, and thank them for the sharing of the land. I would like to acknowledge the ongoing contributions that Aboriginal people make to our society today, along with the children, as this is where the culture lives and grows. My name is Nat, and I'm a practice lead with the PSP Learning Hub. I've worked in the community service sector for 11 years. This webinar will take approximately 20 minutes. Let's begin. In the previous podcast, we discussed the foundations of MI and how it is important and beneficial in PSP. Today, we will talk about working towards change using motivation interviewing, when to use MI and how reflective listening is useful and how barriers may arise. If you are not using reflective listening correctly, you will see how unintentionally or even unconsciously MI becomes ineffective. As mentioned in part one of this series, MI is important in PSP because it helps you develop an empathetic and collaborative relationships with the families you work with. MI looks at the ambivalence or the reluctance or hesitance parents may have for various reasons about parents' behaviours which prevents them from making changes that keeps children safe at home. And it also enhances parents' capacity to change. Again, to truly get into the spirit of MI, we recommend you undertake further training. We will start today by exploring working towards change. MI helps you assess whether a family is ready, willing and able to change the concerns about or risk to a child. So one of the biggest challenges that you may face helping parents or family is making long-lasting change around the identified concern or risk to a child. There may be parents who don't see the need to change, who are convinced they can't change, or who don't know how to implement change. So when family first interact with you around easing harmful behaviours or implementing safe behaviours, it can be frustrating when families are not on board as much as you are. And when this occurs, it's easy to label a parent or a family as lazy, unmotivated or disengaged. However, recent research shows that most of harmful behaviours have an underlying cause that may not be directly obvious to us. So when we keep this in mind and know that motivation is dynamic, we can work towards change with families whilst working alongside them. With this knowledge and our compassion, motivation can be influenced. When a family is ready, willing and able to change, they see the importance what we call the willingness, they have the confidence, what we call the ability, and realize the immediate priority, so the readiness, that they need to achieve great outcomes for children. As you can imagine, change takes time, so please be patient, be curious, and keep the focus on the family's case plan and permanency goals. As mentioned, every emotion and or behavior has an underlying factor. For example, when you discuss parenting styles, a parent may get angry with you and show aggressive behavior. So rather than labeling the parent as an aggressor, we do need to know this behavior is not acceptable, look beyond the response. Consider what might be happening internally for that parent. Do they feel shame? Are they embarrassed? Or do they feel judged? 
No one likes to be told that they're doing something wrong or that they are perceived not being able to look after their children. So MI can help you explore this response. And it's a way where the parent has agency, a voice, and helps them work through collaboratively with you rather than being told what to do. This means that MI is not about forcing families to change. It is a tool that assists you in helping the family develop their own motivations to change. Long-term and sustainable change in the home for a child is achieved when a parent is self-motivated. This means that when parents find their intrinsic reason, so the key for changing, they have found their motivation from within. And this is the best way to achieve change. So when a parent is forced to make change, they will do whatever needs to be done to get you out of their life, and their commitment is not genuine. Thus, MI helps prompt change talk with the aim for families to commit to long-term change, and where you agree to a plan for how to achieve this change. You can help a family evolve towards tangible change by asking questions or making statements about the family's needs, their abilities, the reasons for change, and their commitment related to the change. MI works best when you have established a trusting relationship with the family. If a collaborative and trusting relationship is not present, conflict may occur when the parent and your relationship is not fully formed. For example, the parent perceives you to push them or their family towards change. So use MI when you feel the family is ready. And you can use the theory of change to assess whether a parent is ready and where they are at. Keep in mind that for some families, it may be easier to hold on to known unhealthy patterns or behaviors rather than embracing a new unknown behavior as they have a defensive mechanism for the old behaviors and they know how to respond to those, whether they are good for them or not. If conflict arises and not resolved, you may be steering away from the fundamentals of motivational interfering. Signs of unhappiness from a parent could be defensiveness, oppositional statements, interruption, or even withdrawal. With this in mind, be mindful of your own biases and resistance towards the family. Take a step back if this happens. Reflect and engage. Sometimes it's easier than done to talk to families about change. Change talk is about statements made by parents that reveal their consideration of, motivation for, or commitment to change. Change talk is a pathway to change. The more a parent talks about change, the more likely they are to adopt it or make changes. So how can you encourage this change talk? There are different ways. So one is asking suggestive open-ended questions that might be answered with change talk. You can do that by, for example, asking about the pros and cons of changing and staying the same. So for example, when a family looks back, what was family life like before the behavior became problematic or ineffective for the family? And then look forward with the family. How do you think family life looks like in five years' time if everything stays the same and how it might look like if the family makes changes? You can also put forward extremes, for example, what is the worst thing that might happen if you change or what is the worst thing that might happen if you don't? You can also explore explanations and examples and you could lead this by saying, tell me more about or asking about the family values and how they are in line with the child's case plan goal. And you can do this by asking the families about their guiding values or principles. 
such as what they want in life and how, if they don't change, the current risk or concerns to a child fit in with these values and the case call plan. And you can use the acronym called DAN to help you elicit this information. You take the risk or concerns to a child, such as a child being exposed to violence from the father, who is throwing furniture and objects around the house when angry. You can then discuss DAN around the father using violence in the home to control his family. Using DAN helps you explore the reasons as to why the father is throwing furniture and objects. So DAN stands for D, desire, A, ability, R, reason, and N, need. So desire is about I want to change. So want, prefer, wish from the father to find alternative ways of dealing with anger. Ability is about I can change. So able, can, could, possible around difficulties or challenges at using effective strategies that are not harmful to his family or himself and that may not have been thought about previously. Reason is about it's important to change. So specific arguments for change. Why do it? What would be good? So reasons what might encourage the father to see the impact his behavior has on his children and wife. And these reasons need to come from the father. So need is about I should change. So important, the have to's, the need to, the matter, the go to. So what do you, the father and the family need to know that matters around the father using violence that leads to the father saying that he will stop using violence. So try to listen for words and or statements that sound like commitment language and also discuss bottom lines that, are, that predict the actual change. And you can do that by asking open-ended questions to draw out down. For example, you could ask, in what way would it be good for you to stop throwing furniture and objects? And make that behavior as specific as possible and name it. So if you decide to stop throwing furniture when angry, how would you do it? Or you could ask, what would be a good thing about stopping throwing things? Or why would you want to stop using violence when angry? These questions help the father come up with the reasons to stop using violence and put more and look at more effective strategies of dealing with anger. Another way of encouraging change dog using Dan is asking scaling questions because this will give you an idea where the father is at, so whether he's ready, able or willing to change. And you can do use that by using the scale from 0 to 10 with 0 very likely not to happen, 10 very likely to happen. And then you could ask, for example, how important is it for you to have a quiet home for your children? And if they give a number, you could then say, and why are you at a two and not a zero? Because this then gives you an answer around the change talk. And you can follow that up by asking another scaling question from zero to 10 and ask, how confident are you that you could stop throwing things? And when the partner gives them a number, you can then ask, why are you at a five? and not a zero, and the answer is then that ability talk. You can also ask a looking forward question. So for example, if you don't make any change, what do you think will happen to your relationships with your children? Or what would you like your children to remember you by when they are an adult and have children of their own? What do you hope will be different? And how would throwing objects and furniture fit into this? You can also use open-ended questions to encourage this change talk. And you can ask a question like, 
in what ways will dealing with anger differently be helpful for you? Or what would make your relationship with your children be engaging and joyful now and in the future? And then you can explore how you can partner with the father to help the father adopt different ways of dealing with anger. And then you can use the acronym CAT to implement the changes and make an action plan with steps and actions that are realistic and achievable for the father. And CAT stands for C, commitment, A, activation, and T, taking steps. So commitment is about I will make change. Activation is I am ready and willing to change. And taking action of taking steps is about I am taking action to change now. So we looked at working towards change using motivation interviewing. But when do we actually use it? So you can use MI when parents feel that their parenting is being challenged, when they are stuck in their ambivalence, so what's not working, and you can help them see their strength that helps motivate change. Parents may feel shame, humiliation and guilt, or they are worried or afraid of change as the control they have over their current behavior and responses is more predictable, or parents may not have yet decided about whether the change is necessary. Extensive research about MI shows, and Forrester and all in 2018 is one of those studies, that MI-informed interventions are effective in child protection work. It is a great tool that pairs easily with other interventions, such as engaging families in decision-making, strength-based practice, and self-determination from trauma-informed care principles. So motivational interviewing helps you engage with families, assess families' readiness to change, focus on the strengths of families. It increases the chance of motivation change and make positive life changes. It decreases ambivalence to change. It uses a non-confrontational and non-judgmental approach. This is especially important with young people that reduces negative behaviors and responses. Because MI will help you explore ways how these behaviors and responses can be turned into positive ones. And it helps you with achieving permanency for a child. MI helps uh, children, young people and families understand what needs to change for a child to live safe at home and what steps need to be taken. It identifies available choices that are available to families that benefit them, and it incorporates self-determination that assists in family healing. So when we use motivational interviewing, we express empathy through reflective listening. We develop discrepancy between the parents' goals and values and current behavior. We avoid argument and direct confrontation. We adjust our casework to resistance rather than opposing it directly, and we support the parent's self-efficiency and optimism. I want to focus a bit more about reflective listening, because this is a technique that helps you greatly in MI. So when you use reflective listening, the parents feel understood, which enhances their commitment and their motivations to working with you in achieving permanency for their child. So when the parent sees that you're actively trying to understand them and their situation, they feel they can let their guard down and openly discuss their motivation and pathways for change with you because they don't feel the need to be defensive or pessimistic about their ability to achieve permanency for their child. So with the help of effective listening, parents may increase their self-efficiency. 
So I'd like to give you an example where reflective listening is used effectively and where not. So the client is Yvonne and I'll be the caseworker. So this is the reflective listening example. Yvonne says to me, I really tried to get to my appointments on time and dropping and collecting the kids from school, but there is too much for me to do in a day. It is too much. And then I say, using reflective listening, you're feeling really overwhelmed with everything on your case plan, along with the school drop-off and pick-up you have to do. And then Yvonne says, yeah, I'm trying to do everything right, but it feels like everything is stacked against me. And then I go, it is important to you to get everything done so you can get your children back. And Yvonne says, yes, it is. I'm glad you see that. I know I can find a way to make this work. Maybe we can move a few more appointments around. Then I go, rescheduling some appointments could work. So now an example where I don't use reflective listening. Yvonne says, I really tried to get to my appointments on time and dropping and collecting the kids from school, but there is too much to do in a day. It is too much. So I go, have you tried getting someone else to help you with the drop-off and pick-off to school so you can make it on time to your appointments? And Yvonne says, I asked my parents and sisters how many times already, and they're starting to ask questions, but I don't want to tell them the reason why. And then I go, why do you think your parents may not support you when you tell them what the appointments are for? You could just say you have an appointment. And Yvonne goes, I guess so. And then I go, so you'll try with your family again, and hopefully you can make it to more appointments next month. So in the first example, Yvonne felt really listened and heard. And she then allowed herself to be more vulnerable and tell me what was really happening. And then she came with her own reasons to how she could solve the problem of not being able to attend appointments. Where with the other one, I didn't create that space for her and I might actually push her away to further disengaging with me. So using empathy establishes a safe and an open environment where you can talk through and explore challenges with a parent. It is a great way to elicit personal reasons and methods for change. A fundamental component of motivation interviewing is that you understand each family member's unique perspectives, their feelings and values. You don't have to agree with theirs, but accept that theirs are important to, and that they need to be explored and recognized so that the ambivalence that exists changes. MI is most successful when a trust and relationship is established between you and the family that you work with. I would like to touch on barriers to listening. In the reflective listening example, where I didn't use the skill of reflective listening, I could have been perceived as judging Yvonne. By doing this, Yvonne may disengage with me over time, as I wasn't working alongside in the example, but rather impose direction. If you were to impose direction and judgment, you create a barrier that impacts your collaborative relationship with the family, and MI is not going to be an effective tool. It is so easy to fall into this trap when families or parents are not forthcoming with information. How tempting it is. If you are not empathetic and compassionate, your intentions may be misinterpreted. So if you're not listening reflectively and you impose direction and judgment, the barrier that you create is going to impair the relationship. And like I said, parents may react by stopping, diverting or changing direction. So there are 12 ways how you can unintentionally do this. And I'd like to go through them with you so that you know what they are when you use MI in your casework to avoid you unintentionally falling into this trap. 
So what are they? So the first one is order and direct. So you give the impression of authority and you are already in a position of power. So that's not where you want to go. Another one is warn or threat. So that will have the same effect as order and direct, but it also implies serious negative consequences if a parent or a family is not to follow your direction. And an example could be, if you don't listen to me, you'll be entering to the children's court. Another one is give advice, make suggestions, or provide solutions prematurely or when unsolicited. So here you put your knowledge and your personal experience before the parent or the family. And this may not be their motivation for change or way of doing things. And for example, what that could sound like is, what I would do is. Another one is persuade with logic, argue or lecture. So here you give the parent a feeling that they are not equipped to make change and that they need, to, and they need help to do so and enhances their feelings of powerlessness. So another one is moralize, preach or tell families their duty. And you may unintentionally do this with the use of words of should and ought, because it imply moral instruction. Another one is judge, criticize, disagree or blame. You may inadvertently imply that something is wrong with the family or with the parent about something that they did or said. Also, agreeing, approving or praising could create a barrier. So praise or approval can be a barrier if your message implies agreement with whatever the parent or the family has said. So unsolicited approval can interrupt the conversation or even imply a power relationship between you and the family. Reflective listening does not require agreement. Then there is shame, ridicule, label or name calling. These messages show disapproval and intent to correct a specific behavior or attitude. Then there is interpret or analyze, where it is tempting to give your own interpretation into a conversation and to find some hidden analytical meaning. You imply to the family that you know what the real challenge is. The family may withdraw as they don't have faith in your casework. Then there is reassure or sympathize or console. We often feel inclined to want to make the family feel better by offering reassurance. However, this may interpret the flow of conversation and interfere with careful listening. Then there is questions or probe. We often mistake questioning for good listening. It is good to ask questions to learn more about the family. You may give the family the impression that they need support in solving problems or getting motivated. It can also break the flow of conversation or you instead of the family become the focal point of the meeting. And the last one is withdraw, distract, humor, or change the subject. This is distracting the conversation, and it implies that the parent or family's thought, feelings, actions, and wording are unimportant. So in summary, when you use motivation interviewing, work towards change. Assess whether a family is ready for this. Consider when, you, when to use motivation interviewing, and use the skill of reflective listening and keep the barriers that you unintentionally may create in mind. This is the end of the podcast. In the third and last podcast about motivation interviewing and PSP, we will discuss the core skill of MI, which is ORS, so four communication skills and development discrepancy.
So thank you for listening today. If you'd like more information about motivation interviewing or any other work that the PSB Learning Hub does, please contact us on 1300-777-482 or email us on Hub lowercase one word at carajo.com.au.